you have your Bible, uh, your copy of God's Word, turn with me to Psalm chapter 19. It can be found also in your worship uh, folder, and it'll be on the screen behind me as well this morning. Last week we began, uh, we're going to do a short series on uh, titled, The Kind of Church That We Want to Be. And we hope to do this kind of thing at least once a year, uh, where we just kind of refocused on who we are and make sure we have clarity on that and where we're going. Uh, last week, we, we, so we want to name our priorities. We started doing that last week. I had a quote from the Culture Code, uh, which is a book on organizational health that I read in the spring. And Daniel Coyle, the author, says this, we all have priorities, and whether you name them or not, if you want to grow, if you want to stay secure, if you want to be healthy and stay on course, then you better start naming them. And so last week we started naming them, and we said what Eric said in the prayer, uh, prayers of the people, we want to be a place of grace, a place of ordinary things or the means of grace, and we want to be a place of good news. And so we're going to spend the next three weeks taking each one of those uh, and looking at it uh, and focusing on one of those things each week. And this week we're going to look at we're going to go out of order a little bit, and we're going to look at a place of ordinary things. And specifically, there's lots of things we could say, but specifically this morning, I want to focus on the fact that we want Faith Church, it's always been this way to my knowledge, but we want to continue, we got to name it, and we want it to be a priority here, but we want uh, Faith Church to be a place of the Word, a place of the book. And so to do that this morning, to look at that, we're going to look at Psalm 19, 7 through 14. So follow along with me as I read uh, God's Word. The law, of the, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let me pray and ask God to help us this morning. Uh, through this uh, passage. Let's pray. Father, you tell us in your word that all scripture is breathed out by you. That it is useful for correcting, for rebuking, for training, and for teaching in all righteousness. You also tell us in your word that this book that we are looking at and that we look at every week is ultimately about your son, Jesus. And so this morning, perhaps more than anything, we want you to point us to him. 
We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, There was a professor at the College of Charleston in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, He's a history professor, but he lived on the coast. Uh, So this is a good hobby. Uh, But he was into scuba diving. And he would go on the weekends with a group of people. And on this one particular dive, uh, they were exploring an old shipwreck. And they found some stairs, and he found some stairs underwater that what appeared to be stairs. He kind of made his way and was exploring those stairs. And uh, he noticed at the top there was this banister, and there was a, a, a ball or a knob of some sort, which he thought went in some way with the staircase. Well, he took that with him. The dive was over, and this was a kind of a souvenir, if you will, uh, from this dive that he was on. So he put it in the back of his car, and we do things like this, and this ball would go back and forth as he would turn and roll around in his trunk. And then finally he got tired of that, so he took this ball or knob up to his office, and he used it as a doorstop. He said, this would make a good doorstop, and it also reminds me of this great dive that I went on. And so he every day would move the ball around with his foot to stop the door or to close the door. And then uh, it was there for about a year or so, and then there was a new history professor. And this history professor was going to be under him, and so this scuba diver, this history professor, was going to be a mentor of sorts for this new history professor. Well, this guy uh, was in the military, and he used to do Navy dives on Navy ships to recover nuclear weapons and valuable information. And one time, this guy walks in his office to have a meeting with this professor, and he looks down and he sees the doorstop. And he completely freaks out and looks at the professor and says, get out of your office immediately. He goes out, pulls the fire alarm, screams down the hall, there's a bomb in the building. The professor's looking at him like, what in the world are you doing? He said, your doorstop is a live cannonball. And it could explode at any moment if you move it in just the right way and it could kill you. The point was the professor, you see, when he discovered what he actually had in his office, it changed everything. It changed his life. Friends, this book that you are holding or it is in your lap this morning is claimed is that it is more powerful than even a cannonball. Because this is God speaking to you. The Bible says about itself that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And if, like the history professor, if we discover perhaps this morning the power that is in this book, then it has the ability to change everything, to change your life. And so for that reason, because we believe that this book is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, at Faith Church, we want to be a place of the Word. We want to be known as a place of the book. Because we believe that to the degree, a church is only worth going to, to the degree that it aligns and centers itself around the Bible. I want to be careful because most of the time, when at least it was my case, uh, lots of times when you hear sermons about the Bible or um, talks about the Bible, it is 
a lot of times it just loads more guilt on you. You need to read your Bible more. Well, we all know that's true. Uh, and uh, we know that that is the case. And I think one of the reasons why we uh, don't, are not drawn to the Word or don't read it like we should or love the Bible the way we should is because we don't understand oftentimes the claims that the Bible makes about itself. And so that's what I want to do this morning. Not to tell you to read your Bible more, because you already know that. But I want to talk about the claims that the Bible makes about itself with hopes that that would make its way into your heart and change you so that all of us, me included, would grow to love this book more and more every day. So the word we see here, the claims that it makes about itself is number one, the word of God is powerful. I'm sorry, perfect. It's number one. Secondly, it's powerful. And thirdly, it's a person. The word is perfect, powerful, and lastly, a person. Let's look at number one. The word of God is perfect. Look at verse seven. It says that the word of the Lord is perfect. And it's really interesting. There's lots of textual clues here that kind of point you down the road to this message. And if you have your Bible, look at verse 1. We didn't read this verse, but what's interesting is the name of God changes as we go through the passage. In verse 1, it's the generic way of saying God. It's El, which is used to describe like the creator God, the God of the universe. Then we get to verse 7, and you'll see something different. All caps in your Bible you'll see the Lord in all caps, which is a way to signify to us that it's God's covenant name, that it's his personal name or intimate name. And then we look at verses 7 through 11. This is where this is headed. The way and the path to knowing God intimately, to having knowledge of God and knowing him truly and more deeply, happens through encountering his word. And you see this at the end of each line. Look at what we see. Words like perfect and sure and right and pure and clean. Let me talk about a few of those. The word is perfect. That's a way of saying it's flawless. It's sure. And so you can trust it. Uh, The word here right means a straight edge. Which is something by which you measure other things. And so what David is saying here is that You never determine that Scripture is right by any other standard other than itself. It stands alone, this book called the Bible. The Bible is God's Word to us. And it is the one place that you can be certain and assured where God is speaking to you. And then the natural question is, okay, so this is God's Word. I'm I'm with you on that, but... How does that actually happen? For example, look at the top of the psalm and you'll see it says a psalm of David. It doesn't say a psalm of God in my Bible, maybe you're saying. Uh, and so what's going on there? How does this actually happen? Well, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21, you can write that down and look it up later, but it says this about how we get our Bibles. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so God wrote through human beings as he carried them along through his spirit. In other words, the authors of the Bible were inspired by God. It's not uh, their words, but his words. For example, Acts chapter 1 verse 15, we see the apostle Peter, he is preaching his first sermon and he starts to, to talk about how everything in the Bible points to Jesus and that he's the point of all of human history. And then he says these words. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David. Did you hear it? The scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David. So what is David, or what is Peter saying? He's saying that when you read the Psalms, you're not reading David's words about God. You're reading God's words through the mouth of David. That's really important as we start thinking about God's Word. Listen, I'm not denying that God doesn't work in and through us to illuminate His Word in our lives. The point is, though any impressions or experiences that we might have where we say, God told me. Or maybe somebody comes up to you and say, God told me to tell you. Well, all of those things, the problem with those experiences... And impressions is that they're subjective. And that means that they are sometimes wrong. And if you want the certain word of God, there's only one place you go. And that is the scriptures, the Bible. Because God has spoken. And he has spoken here. And his words are pure and right and certain. And so I want you to think about what I've just said. And some of you would say, no doubt, 100%, I'm with you, I believe that. And if that is true and you believe that, think about that, this is God's word, it should change everything. I mean, it should be like the guy who was using the live cannonball as a doorstop. It should totally change our lives. And if you look at the psalmist, it appears to have changed his Look at verses 10 and 11. The psalmist, believing that this is the word of God, pure and right and good, just can't get enough of the Bible. Look at how he describes it. More precious than gold, even uh, fine gold. More sweeter than honey, even honey from the honeycomb. In 1991, some of you maybe remember this story from years ago. But there was this gentleman who went to flea markets every weekend. He would go to garage sales, flea markets, those sorts of things. And on this one particular Saturday afternoon, he was looking for a picture frame. He didn't worry. He had a picture. He just needed the right size frame to put a picture in. And so he thought, I'm going to a flea market. So he went to a flea market in Adamstown, Pennsylvania. And there he sees this old dusty frame that is perfect and is exactly what he's looking for. It looks irrelevant, it looks old, but that's kind of the feel that he was going for. And so he buys it for $4 on that Saturday afternoon. He takes it home, his wife, she loves the frame, so they start taking the picture that's out that he didn't want and they start replacing it with the new picture. And when he takes the back off the picture... 
to his surprise, he finds an original printing of the Declaration of Independence. And in June of 1991, he sowed that original printing of the Declaration of Independence for $2.4 million. $4 frame. Irrelevant looking. Dusty. Old. Out of date. We're honest, that's often the way we think about the Bible, isn't it? Old, dusty, irrelevant. Look at these stories and don't quite seem to understand them. But when we open it up, and if we open it up and look inside, we find the most valuable thing that we could possibly imagine. And verse 10 describes you find something more valuable and desire than gold, even much fine gold. And here's the question for you this morning. Have you discovered that yet about the Bible? Have you discovered that about the Bible? When you do, it will change everything. Secondly, we see that the Word of God is powerful. If you see there, the second line in each comparison, uh, you get these phrases. Reviving the soul, the word rejoicing the heart, the simple are made wise, the eyes of a person are enlightened. There's an Old Testament scholar that's done a lot of work on the book of Psalms, Derek Kidner, and he says this about the word in verse 7 translated soul, that it actually actually translated, it means psyche, or uh, it means your true self. And so what he's saying here is that you can find out who you really are as a person by looking at God's Word. How does that happen? By putting yourself in front of the Bible because the Bible shows you your manufacturer's design. It shows you how uh, God has made you. It shows you who you are and who He has made you to be. Think about it. Let's keep working this out. And that is what most modern people hate about the Bible. They hate the fact that they have to place themselves blindly under the authority of the Bible. And because of that, they resent it. But the reason the Bible tells you to obey and to submit yourself to its authority is not because the Bible's trying to keep you from having all the fun. It's not because the Bible's trying to be a Debbie Downer or trying to keep you from living life to the fullest. It's actually, and this is what I want you to get, it's actually the complete opposite of that. The Bible says obey because if you don't live according to God's word, you are actually working against yourself in the way you were made. Verse 11, by them your servant is warned, but in keeping them there is great reward. Let me give you an example. Pretend like you've got a block of wood and you were to run your hand along that block of wood. When you do so, things are fine. You experience the texture. You experience the smoothness of the wood. But what happens when you run your hand the opposite way and go against the grain? You splinter up your life because you're working against the grain. And the Bible, the Word of God, is the grain of reality. 
And I want to suggest this morning that each one of us knows this deep down in our hearts. And some people, maybe you're here this morning, but some people even look at the word and they look at Christians particularly and they say, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm just going to ignore the Bible and I'm going to live however it is that I want to live in the world. The Christians, they're too wound up, wound way too tight, and they need to lighten up. Because you, all you do is feel guilty all the time and trying to keep God's word. And so I'm just going to forget about God's word. Is that really what's happening in that moment? Is that really what's happening with that person? Well, the Bible says no. God says no. God says that his word is so ingrained and so a part of reality that even when you try to ignore it, it's not that you're breaking it but that it is actually breaking you. And we know this is true, don't we? For example, try it. <laughs> I'm not trying to tell you to disobey God's word, but you see people around you doing this, and maybe you've tried it. Maybe you said, ah, just forget it. So try to live, okay, to bear false, do not bear false witness, one of the Ten Commandments. Try to live your life with no regard for the truth. And see what it does to your relationships. Or try to live with no regard for truth in your business. Or no regard for integrity in the business world that you are in. The company that you own. And see what happens to your business. The opposite is also true, isn't it? Some of you are here this morning because maybe before you were a Christian or maybe you've experienced not living in line with God's word. And so you brought your life in line with the word of God and it changed you and revived your soul, as the psalmist says. Because once you started living in line, in grain, in, going along the grain of the wood of God's word and in his world, then it revived your marriage. It revived your business or your work life or your self-esteem, or your identity. You see, God's Word is so much more than an arbitrary religious code of conduct. That's the way we often think about it. It's God's design for your life. Contrary to what people think, the Bible is how life works best. The Bible is actually a picture of the beautiful life. It's a picture of how you were meant to function. I love C.S. Lewis. Uh, it's given to you for the proper working of the human machine. It reminds me of a story of the uh, Pennsylvania public school system. They had this large playground on the other end of their property. And um, at one point, the roads around this playground got busy as the city grew, and so there was lots and lots of traffic, which was putting the children in danger. And so the school system decided to put a fence around the playground. And when they did that, they put this real high fence. And when they did that, believe it or not, the, the parents went ballistic. The parents were offended because it looked like their children were playing in a prison yard. And they didn't like that. They complained. It got so heated that the school system actually decided to take down the fence. And guess what happened the very next day when those children were playing? They all huddled in the middle of the playground in a tiny clump, dreadfully afraid of the expanse of the playground all around them. 
You see it? The fence actually gave them the playground. That's God's word. It's the fence that God gives us that actually gives us the playground. It actually shows us how life works best. And it gives you, whether you believe it or not, the freedom that you've always wanted and longed for. It's the plan for the beautiful life. It's the way you become your true self. It's the way your soul is revived and your eyes are enlightened. Thirdly and finally, it's a person. Look at verses 11 through 13. I think this is really interesting. You know, people often say, um, when, when it, in 11 through 13, the psalmist shows us what happens when you really hear from God and encounter Him and really start to understand the Bible and what it is. And a lot of times when people say they've heard from God, they say that they had this peaceful, easy feeling. That's never the way the Bible describes a person's encounter with God. And it's not the way this psalmist describes it either. Look at the way he starts talking after encountering God's word. He starts talking about his hidden faults. His presumptuous sins and great transgression. Why? Because that's what the law does. You see, the law brings you face to face with who you really are. The law, for the first time you start to take God's law seriously, is the first time that you realize that you haven't taken God's law seriously at all. You see, the law breaks you. The law exposes your pride. The law comes to you and it says, cheer up, you're a whole lot worse than you think. That's what the Bible does when you encounter it. But at the very same time, and you've got to hold these together, okay? At the very same time, look at verse 14. Did you find it interesting how it ends? It ends with the psalmist David referring to God as his redeemer. When you encounter God and you've heard from him, and into his presence you go and then you are disturbed and you start thinking about your sin and your shortcomings as you see his holiness but at the very same time, you discover in the Word of God uh, who you are. It drives you to Jesus. It drives you to obey the, uh, to Jesus who obeyed the law perfectly and did what you could never do. And why did Jesus come? Verse 14. To redeem you. To redeem you from what? The curse of the law. You've heard it said, uh, or when you've heard from God and you start to understand the Bible, you know that's happening in your life. When all of your Bible reading and all of your Bible study, when it all ends with Jesus. When it all ends with Jesus alone, then you know you're reading the Bible correctly. Because there is a sense in which we could even say that Jesus is the Bible that Jesus is the Word. Remember John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we go down a few verses and we start to understand what John is talking about. And then he says in verse 13, And the Word became flesh. Jesus. 
and dwelt among us. I love Eugene Peterson. I can't talk about that verse without mentioning his translation, which is actually more accurate. It says, and the word became flesh and moved into your neighborhood. And I don't know about you, but that is amazing. Because what that tells us is that God is saying he comes into your life and he understands you. He understands you by the fact that he moved into your neighborhood. Let me make two, uh, let me make two applications to that. And the first one is this. People like to say, yeah, I like Jesus. I'm on board with Jesus. He's a nice guy. He was good to people. He was good to the poor. He was inclusive. He reached out to prostitutes and sinners. And he's a great teacher. I love Jesus, but I don't love the Bible, and I don't like the Bible. I don't don't even believe half the stuff. And I want nothing to do with the Bible. You hear that sometimes. I heard that a lot on the college campus. And there's only one problem with that based on John chapter 1 is the Word and Jesus are inseparable. You can't pull those apart. If you want to know Jesus, then you've got to know His Word. And if you want to know the Word, that happens through knowing Jesus because Jesus is the Word. Secondly, the second application is people will say this, and I hear this a lot. Ah, the Bible, how irrelevant, 2,000 years old, a dusty old book that I don't even know how to understand. Friends, the fact that God took on flesh in the person of Jesus and moved into your neighborhood makes this the most relevant book that you will ever read and put in your hands. Think about it. If Jesus became flesh and moved into your neighborhood, it's God's way of saying, I understand you. Because it means God came down and got in your mess and in your pain, and he knows exactly whatever it is you're going through this morning and carried into this room. Middle schoolers. Let me just put all students in that. You started school a couple of weeks ago, when you're standing in that hallway at your middle school, all alone and afraid, Jesus knows what that's like, and he's with you. When you feel misunderstood, anybody ever feel misunderstood, students? Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood, and he is with you. When you have shame over the things you've done that you can't undo. Jesus came into the world. Is this very relevant? And he took your shame on the cross so that you could be free. Do you feel abandoned? You ever felt abandoned, abused, betrayed? Jesus knows what it's like to experience every single one of those things. And he experienced them. And he is with you. Suffering. Are you suffering this morning? Maybe you've lost a loved one. And there's not a day that goes by that you don't think about them. Friends, God gets your pain. God knows what that's like. To lose someone he loves. Because 2,000 years ago, he lost his son. 
Friends, this book is the most relevant book that you will ever put in your hands. Whatever it is that you're going through this morning, the fact that the Word became flesh and Jesus moved into your neighborhood means that Jesus gets you. And He's with you and He understands. That doesn't mean He's going to fix it all. But it means that God is not high and lofty and He just stays up there and saying, figure it out. He comes down and gets involved. And He's with you through His Spirit this morning. Uh, I'm, many of you know I was in RUF for 12 years before I came uh, to this church. And I remember uh, talking to a campus minister. And this campus minister was talking about one of his students that he was ministering to. And this particular student was a great guy. Uh, but he could not shake the fact, his father died when he was eight years old, and he couldn't shake the fact, he always came back to and said, I just need to hear my dad say, I'm proud of you, and I love you. And I can't. He's not here to tell me that. And the campus minister didn't know any other thing to do, because this guy loved Jesus, and he knew the gospel, but he just needed to hear his father's voice. And so this campus minister said, have you ever told your mom about this? And he said, of course not. My mom, she hurts still from this. And she would just be undone if she knew that I was hurting and really struggling. And the campus minister said, you need to tell your mother. I'm going to pray that you do. And when you're home for Christmas break, I'm going to pray that you tell her and bring her into what you're experiencing. And so at dinner, he decided to tell. The student told his mom, and says, Mom, I just need to hear, to hear Dad say that he's proud of me. And I don't ever remember him telling me that. And his mom, and you can imagine, was shocked to hear this. And says, what do you mean? He told you that all the time. You, do you not remember? Did you not read the letters that he left you? And the son said, well, I, I was so young reading the letters and I don't remember. And so the mom brings out this stack of letters. And she gives them to her son. And she says, here, read these. And then let's get back together. And the father had written a series of letters as his health was failing. And the son would read them, this stack of letters. And one by one, at the end of each letter, he would say, son, I love you. And I am so proud of you. I love you, one by one, and I'm so proud of you. And the campus minister said, this, this student was never the same. Was never the same after reading those letters. Because he had heard the voice of his father saying, I'm proud of you, and I love you. And that voice had been there the entire time, and he didn't know it. Friends, this book... Is not meant to be a burden to beat you over the head. This is a letter from God to his children telling them how much he loves them. This book called the Bible is God's letter to you and way of looking at you right now this morning and saying, I love you and I am so proud of you. And you know how we know that's true? is because God took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. So what kind of church do you want to be? I don't know about you, but I want to be a place of the book.
I want to be a place of the Word of God. The Word of God that is perfect and powerful and personal. Let's pray and ask God to do that in our church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us your word so that we could know you and what you're like and how much you care for us. Thank you for giving us your word to show us who we are. Would you forgive us this morning for being bored with the Bible, for ignoring the Bible, for uh, forgetting about this wonderful gift that you've given us? And would you convince us through your spirit this morning that there really is life here. There really is life-changing power in the Word. Lord, make us a church, a place of the Word, where everything we do flows out of this book that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.